Good morning. Welcome to Palm Sunday here at Second. Let's give the band some love this morning. That was a uh, throwback. If you didn't know that special song, Rich Mullins. Anyone know who Rich Mullins is? Any Rich Mullins fans in the house this morning? Yes. Old school. Hey, if you brought your Bible, go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 19. Today is Palm Sunday, so I feel it's appropriate for us to look at the triumphal entry. If you don't know, the triumphal entry is one of just a handful of moments and events in the life of Christ that is in all four Gospels. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Go ahead and find verse 28, if you would, please. And as you find it, would you stand with me? We're going to read this whole chunk of text together. We're going to stand as we read God's Word. If you don't have your Bible with you, the verses will be on the screen. I encourage you to follow along. Here's what it tells us, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After Jesus said these things, he was going on ahead and going up to Jerusalem. When he approached Bethphage and Bethany, near the mountain that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into the village ahead of you. There, as you enter, you're going to find a colt tied, on which no one has ever set. Untie it, bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this, or why are you untying it, you shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord has need of it. Verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. Now as he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. And they were shouting, blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, Rebuke your disciples. And Jesus replied, I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, and here it is, listen to this. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. There's a whole lot going on in that little chunk of scripture. Fulfillment of prophecy, political things, cultural things. But today, three things, three simple things I want to point to that I think begin to inform our hearts and our minds to what's going to happen next week, this thing that we know to be called Easter. Before we do, let's pray together. If you could kneel with me, I would love to have you kneel. If you can't, that's fine. Let's kneel before we open up, continue to read God's Word. Father, as we glean from your truth, help it to pierce our hearts. Help it to change our lives. Father, it's not about me. It's about you. Help me to get out of the way. Speak through me. Changes, challenges, just don't leave us the same, Father. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Growing up, 
Birthdays in uh, my house were, were not a huge production. You would get a, uh, a birthday cake always. My mom would always make a birthday cake. And if you're lucky, maybe she cooked your favorite meal and a gift. If you're really good, it was a good year, maybe two. But that was it. That was a birthday in the Kurtz household in Harrow, Oklahoma. Not a lot going on. Now, conversely, I've got two girls. One's 13 and one is six. Birthdays in my house are a huge production. Can anyone relate to that? Does anyone have that type of experience in their home? I mean, it's, it's crazy, and I'm good with it. My wife does an amazing job at birthdays, and, but it's decorations, it's everyone gets new clothes, you know? There's food, and there's appetizers, there's a meal, there's a cake, there's presents everywhere. Sometimes there's live animals, there's just all kinds of stuff going on for birthdays with my two girls. And I brought some pictures from two of my favorite moments at birthdays. I think there's gonna be on the screen. The first one you're gonna see, that's Hope. Thank you, let's do it again. That's, that's Hope. Thank you so much. She is uh, my youngest, she's six now, but that was her first birthday. That's the one year birthday party, which is a big deal. And as you can see, you know, she's got a new dress on. My wife had made her some headband that went with it and there's decorations in the back, there's multiple cakes in the back, there's friends and family everywhere. It's a big deal, all right? Another picture of my oldest daughter here, London. That's her 10th birthday. Sassy, just like her mom, and you can see it right there, it's so obvious. She wanted a llama-themed birthday. I have no idea why, but guess what she got? A llama-themed birthday. But there again, decorations, food, all over the place. As a parent in these settings, you, you have an obligation when your kids are younger especially to teach them and model for them certain forms of etiquette and manners. And I'm big on that. Like I, I really do try to work hard to teach my girls to say please and thank you and yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. Like a little old school I know, but I think it's important for our children. And one of the things that revolve around that is, is getting a gift. Like how do you receive a gift in a, in a well-mannered way? As a parent, you have to teach them how to do that. So at birthday parties, when someone hands them a present, right, there's, there's a way that you want them to go about opening up that gift. And every child's nemesis in the, in the gift opening process is this guy right here, right? The birthday card. Why is that? No, no child, no offense, no child cares about the birthday card unless there's cash in it. Other than that, it's like superfluous. It just, it's slowing things down for them. It's like, why do I have to open the card? What? But here's the truth. As a parent, you, you, say, you, you say, hey, slow down. We'll get to the gift in a moment. Open the card up. If they can read, you say, read what it says. And you tell them, hey, look the person in the eyes. Tell them thank you and be respectful, be appreciative for what you just received. Here's what I've realized over the years. A really good card, a really good birthday card, a really good card of any kind, can really help you understand the purpose of the gift. A really well-written card begins to inform you about the person who gave you the gift, their intent, their heart, and maybe the purpose of the gift. 
Here's what I believe. I think in some ways Easter is the gift. I mean, it is. It's the greatest gift ever. It's, it's the greatest moment in the history of humanity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It, there's nothing better than that. It's the ultimate gift. But in so many ways, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, is the card. It's going to begin to inform our hearts and our minds on the purpose and the significance of the gift. And so today, Easter's coming, all right? I know we want to open up Easter, and we're excited about it. You want to wear all your fancy pastels and your powder blue suits and your seersucker. I get all that. But let's just pump the brakes today and begin to understand what the card, what the card communicates to us about Easter, what the card communicates. Three things. Look in your, look in your scripture with me. Look at verse 28. Two words in verse 28. It says this. After Jesus said these things, he was going on ahead and he was going up. He was going ahead and he was going up to Jerusalem. The first thing the card communicates is real simple. He goes for us and before us. He goes for us and before us. And that might seem like an overly simplified statement, but there's tremendous truth in those two words, up and ahead. First, let's look at that word up. Look at that word up. I want to help you understand something. Jesus' life was always pointed up. Spiritually speaking, the life of Christ was always taking steps further and further up in regards to his purpose. Look at just the Gospel of Luke. If you break the Gospel of Luke down, it starts like this. Chapters 2 and 3, he was growing up. Jesus was growing up. Move forward to chapters 4 through 9. Jesus is serving up. That's miracles, ministry. Jesus is serving up. Chapters 10 through 19, including our text, Jesus is going up, beginning to move up to Jerusalem. Then move forward. Look at chapters 20 through 23. Jesus is offered up. And then last, chapter 24, he's raised up. The life of Christ was always pointed up, and it wasn't on accident. I love what Max Lucado says, the famous Christian writer. Look at this. This is a brilliant statement referring to that phrase of Jesus was going up to Jerusalem in verse 28. Look what Max Lucado says. He says, forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation. Ignore any speculation that the cross was a last-ditched attempt to salvage a dying mission. For if these words tell us anything, they tell us that Jesus died on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. No, the journey to Jerusalem did not begin in Jericho. It began in Galilee. It didn't even begin, or I'm sorry, it didn't begin in Galilee. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. The journey to the cross began long before, as the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still sounding in the garden, Jesus was leaving for Calvary. 
Did you catch that? Is that not beautiful? As the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still sounding in the garden, Jesus was leaving for Calvary. He was going up for what? For us. For us. He goes for us. But that word ahead is also in verse 28. That's important as well. Look at this. That word ahead, what does it tell us? What is it, what's significant about it? Listen to this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He said this. What a beautiful spectacle to see the Lord Jesus marching in front and his followers eagerly following on behind. They were going up to Jerusalem where he would receive some honor, but also where he would be betrayed into the hands of cruel men and put to a shameful death. But he went on ahead of them as the shepherd goes before the sheep, not driving, not driving, but leading. As the captain goes before his soldiers, taking the post of danger, so our Lord went on before them. It was far better that he should go first, for the disciple is never more out of place than when he outruns his master. Rest assured that in whatever way of suffering we have to go in consequence of our being a child of man, and especially in consequence of you being a child of God, we will find that Christ has gone that way ahead of us. He's gone ahead. Isn't that great news? You know what Hebrews tells us? Hebrews chapter four does it say, we don't have a, a high priest who can't sympathize. We have, a, we, we have a high priest who has gone before. He's, he's experienced, he understands, he can sympathize with us because he has gone on ahead. That's what the scripture tells us. And so friends, if you're in this room and you're going through a tough time, know this, he's gone for you, but he's also gone ahead. And he is the way. And oh, by the way, he is worth following and we can follow him. Why? Because he went first. He went ahead. The first thing the card communicates is that Jesus went for us and before us. Look at the second thing, verse 37. It says this. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen. They were shouting, blessed is the king, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. The second thing the card communicates is that he is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise. But you need to understand something about the crowd that day. It says the crowd of the disciples began to praise. Now understand this, yes, the crowd was made up of a lot of Jesus' followers, but not everyone in that crowd was a fan. There were a lot of different people in the crowd that day. Let me help you understand who was there. You had a, a mixture of people. Some were there for the Passover. Some were people traveling to participate in the Passover. Then you had people who were local, the local people who had just experienced and seen and heard about the different miracles that Jesus had done, namely raising Lazarus from the dead. Then you had the religious rulers of that day, the Pharisees, and they were there. Why? Because they'd been hearing a lot of bad stuff about this Jesus guy. 
And they were there to try their best to shut him down in some way, shape, or form. And so the Pharisees and religious leaders of that day, they were also in the crowd. And then you had the 12, the disciples of Christ, including Judas. They also were in that crowd. So you had a mixed bag of people, all who were praising, all who were participating in this triumphal entry. What were they praising? What were they saying? Why, why, why were they praising? Rather? Why in the world were these people praising? Listen to this. Some were praising God because they thought that he was their long-awaited Messiah who would bring in the kingdom of God. They were praising because they were convinced that this was the one who would deliver the nation of Israel from Roman domination and oppression. Most of the crowd that day wanted Jesus to fix their situation, to change their circumstances, to improve their quality of life. They wanted Jesus to make their problems go away. But listen to the word that they were using. Matthew and Mark's gospel tell us they were using that word, Hosanna. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. What does that word mean? Save now. The word Hosanna means save now. The crowd wanted Jesus to save now. But as you examine that text, you'll start to understand something. And something becomes very, very clear. For most of the crowd that day, they missed it. They missed it. Their circumstances crowded their vision. Their circumstances crowded their vision. Let me give you a caution, a word of warning that I think is so true for us in life. Be careful what you praise for. Be careful what you praise for. In life, it's easy for us to say, Hosanna, glory in the highest, blessed be the, the king, blessed be the name of God, when our circumstances are the way we think they should be. When the world is right and life is good, it's easy to say, God, you are the king, and I praise your name. If you understand something, there's a big difference between God, it's good, and I praise your name, versus God, you are good, and I praise your name. Our confession should always go before our circumstances. Our circumstances should never drive our confession. And for many of the people in the crowd that day, here comes the promised Messiah, the King of Kings, riding into Jerusalem. The one who had been prophesied about for generations was right before him. And what were they focused on? Circumstances. Jesus fixed the political, Jesus fixed this political Roman culture, turn it upside down. Jesus, bring back, uh, bring back your kingdom, establish your, your throne here, bring back the way of life we used to know that our fathers knew. They were focused on their circumstances. But look at, look at verse 39 real quick. Verse 39. There was enough ruckus and enough people praising in the crowd 
for the religious leaders to say, Jesus, shut them up, rebuke the crowd, quiet them down. And then verse 40, Jesus says what? I tell you, if these stones or if these don't speak or stop speaking, the stones are going to cry out. The cry of the crowd that day was the cry of creation that day. The cry of creation was save now. And if the people didn't praise, the stones were because we know this. Easter's on the way. And God is going to reconcile, redeem, and restore his creation. And Jesus said, hey, if these stop praising, the stones are going to cry out because nothing can stop what's coming. Nothing can stop what's coming. Jesus left for Calvary once again the first crunch of the bite of that apple. And nothing can stop what's coming. The card communicates that Jesus is worthy to be praised because he's good. The third and last thing it tells us is this. Look at verse 41. And this is my favorite part. Verse 41. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Third thing the card communicates. He weeps for what he sees. He weeps for what he sees. Look at this map on the screen. This would have been Jesus' vantage point when he came to that place on the back side of the Mount of Olives. So on the right-hand side of that map, Jesus is looking into the whole of Jerusalem. And he can see it all. One of the most ironic contrasts, I think, in all of Scripture is this right here, verse 41. What's happening? Procession, parade, cheering, praising, people excited, screaming, jubilation, joy, excitement. Jesus is ahead, and all of a sudden what? The parade stops. The word wept in the scripture there is the Greek word klio. It's not used very often in the New Testament. It's the Greek word klio. And it refers to a physical wailing and crying that is, that is loud and audible. He wasn't just shedding a tear. Jesus was convulsing in heartbreak. You could hear him aloud. That's what that word means. One of the most ironic contrasts in all of human history. People parading and praising, and Jesus is in a puddle of tears. Over what? The brokenness of Jerusalem. <laughs> he weeps for what he sees. Do you understand that? Do you know the addictions in your life? And let's just be honest. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, broken relationships, lies, ego, selfishness, pride, mistakes, blown second, third, fourth chances, refusal to change. 
all the junk, Jesus weeps. He didn't turn his back when he saw Jerusalem and say, can't do anything about that. He didn't turn away because he was ashamed. What did he do? He kept marching into Jerusalem, knowing what lay before him. I'm convinced that the closer that Jesus got to the cross, the more his heart broke. For who? For Terry Kurtz. For you. For all of us. All the stuff. All the junk. Next week, it's the gift. <laughs> so excited for next week, the significance, the meaning, the truth. But the card communicates he has gone for us and before us. He's worthy to be praised and he weeps for what he sees. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves you.